Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 76, Rebirth and Suffering. How important are they? Do we need to believe into the teachings of rebirth to get value from the Buddhist teachings? And why is it that suffering is often intensified when we practice meditation? And how do we work with that increased awareness of suffering? The Dzogchen Ponlamp Rinpoche joins us again to discuss these questions. This is part three of a three-part series. Rinpoche, how do you deal with the teaching of, of rebirth in general? Because I'm, it's a quite a topic for a lot of Westerners. People have debates or different feelings that mm-hmm. for most of us, it's a, it's a new concept when we first hear about it. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you teach that or how do you help Westerners relate to that? Well, I think, you know, basic logic we have in the West is like seeing is believing. Yeah, that's very true. You know, right. because of this logic, then we say, oh, I don't see the past life. I don't see the future life. Uh-huh. So I don't believe in the past and future lives. Right. If you use the same logic, mm-hmm. you know, I use the same logic uh, as a consequence uh-huh. theory. That uh, if you really look back, we also don't see there is no past. Uh-huh. We also don't see there is no future. Uh-huh. So at the end, actually, we don't really see that, you know, past and future lives don't exist either. Right. You know, just as much as we don't see they do exist, uh-huh. you know, that much also we don't see they don't exist. Uh-huh. And so at the end, you know, it's back to square one. <laughs> you know, this logic doesn't take us anywhere, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. And so as long as, you know, we are back to square one and we're not really sure about it. Uh-huh. And so my logic is, why not play it safe? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. That makes sense. <laughs> why not play it safe? And then from these Buddhist teaching point of view, we're not talking about like you need to believe in some, you know, uh, religion, religious things and do this and do that for, for the death and so on. Uh, right. What they're right. teaching about is like how to live well. Yeah. You know, you know, live well, make your life meaningful and positive and beneficial and compassionate and loving. And most importantly, be a kind person. Yeah. You know, just be a kind person in the world. That's all you need to be. Yeah. You know, be kind to yourself and be kind to the world. Uh, and, you know? and it seemed the practices didn't really change. That was interesting because I'm in the very first <laughs> part here of the bardo of natural living and abiding. Mm-hmm. And it's really the practices you get that you do anytime, whether you've read a book about death and rebirth or not. Exactly. So it seems that all the practices you're doing are for the same goal anyways. Exactly. You know, so how I relate with rebirth thing, you know, uh, to, to the Western students sometimes is, uh, I say, it doesn't really matter whether you believe in, you know, rebirth or not. Ah. Yeah, make sure you live this life well, uh-huh. you know, uh, make sure you do the right things uh, uh-huh. or positive, you know, and beneficial for you and for others. Uh, and make sure you don't have a regret at the end, uh, you know, of what you've, uh, how you've lived your life. Mm. And then that's good enough. Yeah. You don't need to believe in anything, you know. Well, that's pretty easy then. You know, you don't yeah. have to get so caught up on it if it's something of a struggle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't need to waste your time on that, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I joke around. I use this uh, quote from Woody Allen. Mm. He said, like, I don't believe in reincarnation. Uh, however, I bring along a change of underwear. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. Good. So why not, you know, why don't we play safe and, you know. Bring a change uh, of underwear. Yeah, bring a change of underwear, you know, live well. <laughs> doesn't hurt. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Great. And living well is not only good for dying process or rebirth, but also good for you in this life. 
Yeah. You'll enjoy your life, you know? Right. So there's no like having to wait for some sort of result or fruition or benefit a long time from now, like the practices you're doing right now that would be for them fit in with your life exactly in this moment. Yeah. And it'll make you happy. Right. And that's what we want. Yeah. When you're kind to yourself, when you're kind to to the world, you know, your life will be happy. Great. Thank you, Rinpoche. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, one of the last topics I wanted mm-hmm. to discuss with you, and and I'm really trying to figure out a good way to like really ask this question without getting too confusing, mm-hmm. but it has to do with suffering, which is a really <laughs> popular topic I know. <laughs> suffering. <laughs> um, but it's the experience of suffering in practice, in meditation. And uh, something that I've talked with mm. other practitioners about is how our experience of suffering may change as we practice. Mm-hmm. And some people that I've talked to and myself included had noticed seeming like we're experiencing more suffering Mm -hmm. sometimes in practice. But the way I've been thinking about it is more of an intensification, intensifying of my awareness Mm -hmm. of suffering, Mm -hmm. which, and it seems that way for other people, which can be a really tough experience Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden be really intimate with deeper levels of suffering that I've been kind of trying to numb out. Exactly. And I'm wondering if that's like anywhere in <laughs> accurate of, of how things can unfold for practitioners mm-hmm. and maybe how we deal with that. Cause um, some people can get hung up on it. If mm-hmm. that suffering comes up, it's like, Oh, look at this practice. And now there's all kinds of suffering. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. There can be a misunderstanding of that. And then it's, and then like, how do, how do we stick with practice? Uh-huh. So and maybe you could just start off by mentioning the three types of suffering, the three levels of suffering. Uh-huh. For people, because I don't know if everyone always knows those uh, different mm-hmm. levels. And then, yeah. yeah, in general Buddhist teachings, you know, we talk about three types of suffering, uh-huh. uh, like the suffering of suffering, uh-huh. which is like having uh, like intense pain. The traditional examples, like you know, if you have a, a stomach pain, and and and, uh, and your body is weak, and on top of that, you get pneumonia, uh-huh. something like that. You know, right. it's like a suffering of suffering, which is very. Obvious, you know, it's more like a physical and mental torment. Yeah. And then suffering of change, which is our, oh, one of our fundamental sufferings. Mm-hmm. That is like, you know, uh, first of all, like, you know, whenever you're experiencing any kind of happiness or joy, mm-hmm. there's always underlying factor of impermanence. Uh-huh. You know, it's going to change. Right. And we you know, know it somehow, somewhere we know about that. Uh, yes, somewhere we know. And that's why we're not really enjoying it all the time, you know. Uh-huh. Even though we're really enjoying this beautiful sunset, but we know it's going to go in a few minutes. Uh-huh. It's not going to be there. Right. You know, same thing. So it's a suffering of change. And it's kind of foundational suffering here too. Right. So it's just like the change, you know, um, impermanence that takes place in every moment. Uh-huh. And then the suffering of uh, what we call the all-pervasive suffering, uh-huh. uh, which is a little harder to see. Yeah. You know, and that suffering is the, the fundamental fear, you know, uh, basic fear of uh, not getting what we want uh-huh. and the basic fear of losing what we have, mm. you know, uh, like even when we are really having a great wealth and great enjoyment, but there's always this sense of fear of losing it. Yeah. You know, so all pervasive suffering is very difficult to uh, see sometimes, uh, but it's there all the time, you know, uh-huh. uh, and, and the traditional example is quite, uh, 
I don't know if I should say it. It's quite graphic. Uh, I just warn you. That's okay. Uh, Go ahead. It's, <laughs> it's like we say, like it's like a, a honey on a razor blade, right? Oh yeah, yeah, honey on a razor blade. Right. You know, even though it, it appears to be sweet and everything, but if you lick it too hard, it's like going to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a razor right. blade underneath. So these are the three types of sufferings, and uh, and I totally agree with what you said about the uh, the experience of the practitioners uh-huh. and the suffering. Uh, yes, I think the practice does not increase suffering, right. but but our experience of suffering and uh, uh, our awareness of suffering uh, becomes more naked. Ah, that's and, a and, yeah, naked, that's... you know, and it's really raw. Uh-huh. You know, and it becomes so obvious and clear, uh-huh. and so we see it so clearly. You know, uh, it's like. Like we, you know, say this in English, like, you know, uh, what is it? Truth, you know, truth is always painful or something like that. Hmm. Trying to think, of, it's like a, a, a saying? Like yeah, that? I heard something like that. Oh. Uh, so whenever someone's uh-huh. trying to tell you the truth about yeah. your maybe shortcomings or something, uh, right? it's always painful, you know? Yeah. Like when your partner comes to you and say, gotcha. we need to talk. Yeah. So you <laughs> you hear it and you know it's true mm-hmm. and it's painful to hear it sometimes, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's, and you already kind of knew it. Yes, you already know it. You've been denying it or yeah. you've been having a way to shut it off. And then finally, you know, someone's telling you, someone who's close to you, you know. You're confronted with it. Uh, yes, and then you feel it's so raw, it's so clear, it's so there. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you, On one hand, we don't want to acknowledge that. Uh-huh. It's not a comfortable spot to be. On the other hand, you see there's no uh, running away from it. Right. It's right there. And so... That's what happens in the practice too, you know. And especially when you begin to work with your mind and beginning to see your mind, uh, sometimes it's not that uh, easy, uh, not that easy experience to see like how busy your mind is and how, you know, your negative habits and so on when you see it so clearly. Uh And uh, you feel, sometimes you know it's negative and you want to stop, but you can't stop it. Yeah. You know, it continues, you know, vicious cycle. Yeah, uh, and when you see it, like it's so painful, but it's there, uh-huh. and so that's what happens in the practice. And uh, the key point here is if you keep doing the right practice, mm-hmm. you know, let's say shamatha, you know, sitting meditation, uh, just basic sitting mm-hmm. meditation. If you keep doing that, uh, no matter how you feel irritated or painful, uh-huh. uh, if you keep sitting and instead of looking at the pain. If you look at the experiencer of the pain, uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, rather than just focusing on the pain all the time, uh-huh. but focus on the, the on the, the mind that experiences that pain, uh-huh. you know, looking at that experience itself, uh-huh. yeah, that's really helpful uh, in meditation. Uh, and also, when you do that, you also also not denying the suffering. You know, uh-huh. you're not denying the pain, uh-huh. but you're working at it. Uh, you're working with the pain in a different way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of looking at the object, mm-hmm. you know, observed object, you know, look at the observer. Uh, mm-hmm. So the suffering that we start becoming more intimate with and start seeing nakedly becomes an object. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we can also turn around and look at the experiencer of that. Exactly. Yes. Then uh-huh. mm-hmm. that, in, that in itself is kind of self-liberating. Uh-huh. And when you look at the experience itself, there's nothing, uh-huh. like nothing so uh, solid as we label it. Right. 
Yeah, but when you look, when you keep looking at the object, you find a lot more to label it. You know, ah, and there's a lot more thought processes. I see. Mm-hmm. So, part of what I've seen as maybe being challenged for myself and others is mm-hmm. when you when you first get on the path. There's a lot talked about. The good things, uh-huh. uh, like there's going to be freedom. There's going to be more genuine happiness, and and then you get into practice. And at a certain point in time, things might get a little more difficult. Uh-huh. And it's not, you know, we can. I know there's a teaching about not judging your experience. Like, oh, meditation went well, meditation went bad. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like people first get in the path and like, hey, hoorah! And there's <laughs> some good things happen, and then these tough experiences happen mm-hmm. that maybe sometimes it can challenge us to keep with the practice even mm. to say oh this is really nasty <laughs> and uh this is really a lot of suffering here and mm-hmm. so it made sense about like in the practice what to do mm-hmm. but how do people stay motivated motivated to keep going back when it's like every time i sit on the cushion it's just like all oh, this suffering is i'm starting to see more and more suffering and that's just <laughs> mm-hmm. really tough you're talking about suffering of your own or the world or Yeah, for a person, their their, their own suffering, mm-hmm. just like you were saying. Um, exactly right. It's it's like going back to your partner and say, "Please tell me more <laughs> truth about things that are are goofy with me and mm-hmm. are tough." Mm-hmm. That that might be a really hard thing to keep doing. Mm-hmm. It might have been easy to get started because it's like, "Oh, Buddha said a lot of wonderful things, and it sounds really good," you know. And I mm-hmm. want that. And then mm-hmm. after you do that for a while, and then maybe you hit a point. In practice, mm-hmm. where you start seeing a lot of suffering right. in practice, and maybe it's a maybe it's a phase. I don't know, but I'm just wondering if anybody finds themselves in that sort of place. How do they go about it? Just in general, their whole through the whole practice and keeping motivated and, and staying with that. I think, like you know, that experience happens, but I think you know, most important thing is to study the view in that moment. Ah, you know, not to really push too hard. Yeah, sometimes pushing doesn't help. Ah, yeah. studying the view uh-huh. and seeing a bigger picture. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's much bigger than what you're just seeing now. Uh-huh. You know, the, the the reality is much deeper uh-huh. than just suffering. Uh-huh. You know, and so when you study the Buddhist view, you can see clearly. Oh yes, suffering and pain. Of mm-hmm. course, they're all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you really look closely, you know, they're just like a dream. Uh-huh. You know, they're just like an illusion. You know. So we also have to remember that absolute view, you know. I don't mean we deny the relative suffering by absolute view, uh-huh. but you know, having a good balance, uh-huh. you know, between uh, relative and absolute, uh-huh. you know, view and meditation. Mm. You know, view and meditation go hand in hand. Mm. That's why we always say view, meditation, and action. Uh-huh. You know, so these three need to go together. Uh, and so when you're having a hard time with the practice. In that way, you know, sometimes it's good to remember the view, study a little bit more, you know, uh-huh. read more and get a little bit bigger picture and and try to understand that suffering more, you know, rather than just sitting with the pain, uh-huh. you know, try to understand it, you know, with the view. Mm-hmm. And also try to, you know, penetrate that experience by, you know, meditation methods, as I mentioned earlier, right. looking at the observer yeah. uh, rather than the observed object of suffering. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Bringing all these together and then bring it into action, you know, in a post-meditation. You know, in action, do some mindfulness practice, you know, like loving, kindness. Uh, try to practice, you know, to be kind to yourself, you know, to be uh, patient with oneself, yeah. you know, to be soft. 
Uh, not to be too harsh on yourself, saying like you know, hey, you know, you're the worst person in the world. <laughs> you have all these bad habits, and yeah. you know, you have all this pain and suffering. Uh-huh. But you know, be yeah, be more uh, balanced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. between the view and meditation. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. very helpful. Yeah, the to see how those things maybe change as your practice changes, and and what emphasis you need to do the antidotes. So that's that's. Extremely helpful for me. Exactly. And then one other important thing that I'm forgetting is uh, it's always important to talk to teacher. Yeah, that's why I was just thinking. (laughs) Yes, when you have that experience, you need to talk to teacher or instructor, Ah. a meditation instructor and practice instructor Mm -hmm. and get more uh, uh, insight, uh, get more, you know, uh, dialogue and then bring more methods. You know, sometimes uh, we may just need to switch a little method there. Uh-huh. And that will change the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't consult anyone and keep trying yourself mm. when you don't know, uh, then sometimes it's uh, it gets worse. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So consulting with the teacher is always helpful. Ah, uh, glad you brought that up. I was just thinking that yeah. because we're talking kind of generally, but with mm-hmm. each person's practice, mm-hmm. it's harder to know. You it seems like you really have to dig in and find out what's exactly going on before you try some method when you don't know if that's the right antidote. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That was very illuminating. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. um, Those are all the questions I have for today. Thank Um, you. Is there anything else you'd like to say Rinpoche to um, our listeners or about uh, the work you're doing? Yeah, actually I just want to say that, you know, mm, I feel it is important for all of us to work on now. Establishing a genuine, a genuine Western Buddhism here uh-huh. in this country, you know, genuine American Buddhism. Uh-huh. And I've been working with my students and friends uh, for a number of years for that cause. And uh, uh, I think it's really important to see how to find the right balance between uh, moving towards American Buddhism uh-huh. while not losing true wisdom tradition. Uh, in that process, you know, uh-huh. uh, when we transport uh, and transplant this uh, uh, Buddhist tradition here in America from India, from Tibet, Japan, what have you, uh-huh. um, we always need to find the right balance that, you know, we don't throw some things out, yeah. you know, without uh, a deeper uh, contemplation. And so mm, it's important to find the right balance where we transplant the Dharma here and make it American uh-huh. uh, Buddhism, uh, we don't really have to make it. It's already American anyway. Yeah. Uh, I tell people, like some people say, no, no, we can still chant in Tibetan you know, phonetics and so on. Uh-huh. But I say, yeah, when you chant phonetic uh, Tibetan chants, uh, when I hear you chant, uh, to me, it's not really Tibetan. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's already American way yeah. of chanting Tibetan, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even that level of, you know, traditional thing, uh-huh. we cannot say it's not American. It's already yeah. in that process there, you know. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, but we must go deeper than that. You know, it's not, uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. Right. We need a complete transformation and complete transplanting Dharma in the West, uh-huh. which needs to take place with uh, uh, working with the culture, uh, social and psychological uh, background uh-huh. of the Western students, and then uh, working with the mm, uh, bringing the Eastern wisdom, mm, uh-huh. which we can transplant here fully, and that's what uh, uh, my passion has been, and been working on this for a number of years. And uh, I'd like to thank all 
the listeners and supporters for Western Buddhism. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to thank you for your wonderful work here. Thank you, Rameshan. Buddhist geeks. Yes. Yes, I guess I'm one of them. You are. <laughs> you definitely are. Fully. So, and uh-huh. thank you for coming on the show. I really, and I really appreciate you adding that on at the end because, um, so much of this show and why we created it is exactly for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's such an honor for us to have you on because of all of the really strong effort you're putting out there to accomplish that. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much. When I heard the name Buddhist Geeks, I feel right at home. Good. <laughs> awesome. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.